everyone. Uh, this is Rich Duncan with Hank Heist, and uh, Shane couldn't make it tonight, but uh, tonight we have author Betty Rocksteady joining us, and we're going to talk a little bit about her new collection in Dreams We Rot, which was recently re- released on Trepidatio Publishing, and she's also the author of The Writhing Skies, like Jagged Teeth and Arachnophile. So how are you doing tonight, Betty? Oh, I'm doing great. How about you? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, always look forward to doing these podcasts. Feels a little weird without Shane, but uh, yeah, we miss it's him. Yeah. So uh, our our the way we always start these is we like to ask people to kind of give, you know, like they're the new kid at school speech. So if you just wanted to tell people a little bit about yourself, uh, maybe for people who haven't read any of your work. Yeah, great. Um, well, I'm Betty Rocksteady. I'm an author and an illustrator. Um, I've written a lot of short stuff. My three first books are novellas, and it's all horror. I do some like explicit and weird and bizarro and surreal, and a lot of it's really nightmare-based. Um, my book, Rising Skies, was nominated for the This Is Horror Award, and it won that one, and it was nominated for uh, the Splatterpunk Award. And the Wonderland Awards, too. So that one did well. And it's illustrated by me. And, yeah, those are my credits, I guess. Yeah, that's pretty cool um, about the Writhing Skies one. I remember when that was released and kind of the build up to it with the illustrations. And I thought that was cool. And um, I'm just kind of curious because, like you said, I know you're an illustrator and a writer. Do you do a lot? Because I'm fairly new to your work. Do you do a lot of like your own artwork or was that kind of like the first time that you sort of brought the two together? Um, Well, I did the covers for Arachnophile and like Jagged Teeth as well. But I think um, The Rising Skies was the first work that I really illustrated. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun to do. And I think it added a really weird effect to the book because uh, it's really it was done in a cartoony kind of Betty Boop style. But the book is really explicit and disgusting. So it made kind of an interesting contrast, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's kind of interesting you mentioned that because I did check out your artwork and I really enjoyed it. But like you said, it's kind of interesting that you said it was like that Betty Boop style and it's like a really dark book. Um, One of the stories in In Dreams We Rot that I really liked was... um, the, I forget, uh, it's the one with the elephants. The elephants that are Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and that one had a little cartoony illustration in it, too. Yeah, which that story, you know, I'm not sure what exactly about it, but, like, it was really unnerving. And, like, the cartoon by itself, like, it's kind of got... It kind of isn't overly scary, you know, but, like, combined with the story, like, it was just really unnerving. <laughs> Yeah, there's something about, like, sticking the two things together, but not always in the way you expect to, like, the illustration and writing that kind of adds to the unnerving effect, I think. Like, if you just go over the top with really spooky, it's more expected. But when you add a different feeling with the cartooniness, I just, there's something about it that, I don't know, those old cartoons always felt really wrong and unsettling to me, so I like to bring that into it a bit. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Like, I I can't think of any examples off the top of my head. But, you know, there's every once in a while, you'll see those articles pop up, you know, 
this one, it's not as old as kind of like the style that I pictured reading the story, but like they always talk about kind of like those dark episodes, like of Tom and Jerry, like there's the (laughs) one where he like sits on the tracks Tom is and then Jerry kind of sits there and like you hear the train coming like I feel like some of those older ones they've got some of that dark stuff in there that you know even cartoons today like sometimes they slide in you know I more adult themes but it seems like some of those older cartoons like they had stuff in there that you might not necessarily get away with today yeah, like uh, in the really early days with cartoons, they weren't necessarily geared towards kids. It was more just like a weird art form, I think. Like it wasn't necessarily supposed to be cute and fun. They were just weird. So like early Betty Boop and stuff are really like, there's a lot of stuff you would never get away with today. Like little flashes of nudity or yeah. uh, kind of like dark kind of things. It's it's weird. Yeah, yeah. And then too, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but like, Uh, There's a lot of, I guess you would say, urban legends where they talk about, like, some of the Disney stuff and, like, that the animators would hide stuff in there. Yeah. And I always thought that was interesting. Like, (laughs) believe it or not, I I was on, like, a family vacation and my stepdad, he actually asked one of the tour guides about that because, like, which I thought was hilarious because some (laughs) of the stuff that's rumored to be in there is definitely not family friendly. (laughs) There's um this is this is like tangentially related, but there's a movie I saw a number of years ago, and I forget what it was called now. But it it took place at Disneyland, and they filmed it like illegally, and it was a strange oh. little surreal horror film. It was black and white. Does that ring any bells? Yeah, yeah. I I can't remember the title. I think it has something like maybe not Tomorrowland, but I think it had something yeah. to do with that in there. Well, thanks to, I'm so happy to be in the future with Google at my fingertips, because I just Googled it, (laughs) and it was called Escape from Tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah, I knew it had Tomorrow in there. I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard a lot of things about it. Yeah, it was good. Like, um, sometimes, I don't know, I like those weird little culty films, and it was definitely a strange one. I only saw it the once, and it was a few years ago, though. Yeah, and... You know, kind of going off that because the way they filmed that and um, also kind of tying into horror fiction. And you can tell me if I'm wrong or if it doesn't apply to you. But I know a lot with a couple other guests when we talk about horror stuff, like I always kind of equated the genre to, you know, more underground types of music, like maybe punk rock or, you know, hardcore or something like that. And that's sort of like. I guess, guerrilla type mentality, kind of like how that film was done. And I was just curious if you kind of viewed it that way or. I can totally feel that. Yeah. I mean, like I grew up as like a punk rock kid and um, it was, those are definitely two interests that always went hand in hand for me. And there is like a bit more of a DIY ethos with horror, I think, than there is with some other genres right now. Like the indie scene for horror is really booming, it seems. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of the same way. That was kind of the same background I had. And that's why I always kind of equated it to that. Mm -hmm. And I was always curious if other people saw it that way. But like you said, um, you know, some of the indie publishers, like in my mind, that's kind of what's driving horror. Like there's great bigger releases, but I'm always impressed by how many small presses there are and how many do great work. And I know. Yeah. 
you've worked with a couple different publishers and I was just curious, you know, from a writer perspective, what is it like, you know, working with an indie publisher, you know, regardless of which publisher, but just kind of in general? Um, I mean, like, I don't have a lot to compare it to from in, but I, I like, I enjoy working with indie publishers. Um, I feel like, they really get on board with the vision of the book. Like I know perpetual motion machine in particular, I always feel really comfortable pursuing my vision with them. Whereas maybe with a bigger publisher, you wouldn't. Yeah. And then as opposed to like going it alone with self publishing, it's definitely good to have the background of experienced people with you. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of interesting that you uh, mentioned perpetual motion. Um, We actually had Max on, I, think he like two episodes ago maybe yeah i haven't listened to that yet and i usually do listen to max <laughs> oh man it's it's a pretty it's a pretty crazy episode and uh so he, much. he's a lot of fun yeah he we had a blast with him and you know that's kind of i guess like you said you've worked mainly with indie publishers so there's nothing really to compare it to but that's kind of what I was getting at is that it feels like, you know, with people like Max and, you know, the other publishers that, you know, it may not, you may not have like all of the machinery that like big publishers have, but it seems like they're a lot more willing to give you more freedom to kind of do what you want. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I definitely think so. And yeah, I, I could see like with Max where, you know, he's pretty open to anything based <laughs> off of some of the stuff that we talked about him, uh, talked about with him. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, I'm a fairly newer reader and uh, in Dreams We Rot was the first one I read. And I know I tweeted about it a bunch of times, but like, I really loved this collection and for me, I personally consider you one of my favorite short story writers. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool to hear. I love short fiction. Like, that's definitely where, I mean, I haven't, the longest thing I've written was probably Writhing Skies, and that was only about 30,000 words. So I really concentrate on the short form, which I think in horror works really well. Yeah. Yeah, I know that's one thing that... um like, I feel that way, too, but that's one thing that Shane usually brings up a lot is, you know, it seems like, you know, there's tons of great horror novels that are, you know, more expansive, but it seems like short stories or novellas are kind of like the perfect form for, you know, horror. And I don't know, I, my attention span is terrible now, too, so I like reading shorter <laughs> things more than <laughs> really long, epic things now. When I was a teenager, I could read, like, big, multiple books epics but now by the time i get to the like i forget what's going on <laughs> yeah yeah it, you know i think i'm kind of the same way like i i love those longer things but i was always more of a longer form fan like novels especially like the bigger the better but lately i've been reading a lot more novellas and short stories and like you said it's a lot easier in some ways to like read those because you know it's pretty contained and you can kind of you know read through it pretty quickly and you know there's not too much you know if it's too long you set it down you might forget about it for a while and then you're like crap I gotta you know 
flip back and see mm-hmm. what's going on and figure out where I left off. And sometimes it's just a mess. Yeah, definitely. It's hard sometimes to give it enough time to, I mean, like being grown ups with, I don't know, like jobs and multiple hobbies and multiple jobs and lot, you know, so much going on. Sometimes I just, it's a lot of fun to read something short and just have a one, one little experience with it. I like that. Or like a novella, like this is my evening activity. I'm going to like, drink a pot of coffee and read this book in one sitting. I like doing that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, same here. And, you know, one thing that I always, that I kind of think is interesting is, like, there's been a lot of attempts to really make short fiction work in, like, different formats to try and make it easier for people. Like, uh, they had Great Jones Street. I don't know if you've used that. Yeah, I'm familiar with that, yeah. And you would think that, you know, because pretty much when I'm on Twitter, everybody talks about liking novellas and short stories. And I always thought something like that would work. But I'm kind of surprised that, you know, there isn't an app or, you know, something that allows for, I guess, like an ease of use to like find new short stories or novellas and locate them, you know, aside from like Amazon. Yeah, yeah. And uh, as far as short fiction goes, because it's interesting, I always ask authors which ones they prefer. And you said you prefer short fiction. I feel like in a lot of ways, you know, there's challenges to both styles. But I've always felt like writing a good short story has got to be incredibly difficult because you have, you know, you might have like this big idea and a couple of the stories in here like you did a really great job there was like these big concepts but you only have like a finite uh, space to work with yeah then you have to just kind of like find your focus I really I do a lot of like thinking about the big picture of the story before I really nail down my focus of where I'm going to concentrate and how I'm going to show all these big concepts in a very small way I guess yeah and you know, that's, I was wondering kind of too, like, did you always kind of gravitate towards writing short stories, like even from the beginning and kind of how did you know that you kind of wanted to work in like, you know, maybe a shorter format? Well, I always like, I grew up reading a lot of horror short fiction, like that I've, I read a lot of novels too, but I just was always very attracted to short fiction and I've only been writing for about five years. So when I started writing, I just started small because it, I know I'd been putting off, I knew I wanted to be a writer forever and I knew I wanted to write forever, but I just kind of picked at it over the years. And when I finally sat down to it, I was like, okay, if I'm going to teach myself, I have to start small, I guess. So um, just one story at a time. And I feel like you can learn a lot by writing a lot of short stories really fast, more than, trying to figure everything out with writing a big novel and you know you're tackling like character and setting and plot and so many things but if you just begin and middle you know beginning middle and end a bunch of things I think you learn well that way or I do anyway yeah that makes sense you know because I'm kind of in the same boat like I only recently got back into it but as a kid you know I I used to write all kinds of stories you know mainly superhero stuff and like (laughs) make these little books with my terrible drawings and you know staple them together and then I kind of drifted away from it and kind of like you like I had I'd started with it and stops and starts but I kind of did the same thing like everyone 
they always say like some people find their writing through uh the national novel writing month Mm. but i was like i don't think i'm quite ready for that so i kind of took the same thing i was like you know what maybe i'll just start with short stories and you know try and work things out that way I think for like pretty much everything that I've been able to teach myself to do or try to do it's like you just got to start small like give yourself little goals and then just beat that little goal and then you can keep going rather than setting yourself up for failure by trying to take on something too big I get overwhelmed really easily so I like to take little steps yeah I can relate to that because I feel like you know, obviously I don't, I haven't written very many stories, but it kind of feels like, you know, whether people say it or not, it kind of feels like almost everybody that, you know, wants to write or starts writing, they kind of have that like imposter syndrome, like, well, is this mm-hmm. going to be any good? Or, you know, who's going to want to read this? And like you said, maybe doing it in those little goals, it's, you don't feel as overwhelmed. Yeah, and especially when you're first starting, I think you have to be really willing to be bad at it. Like, the first year writing, like, none of those stories will ever see the light of day. And I was writing a lot of stories that first year, like, almost one a week just trying to peel them out. And they're all terrible. But I had to write them to figure out how to write good stories. Yeah, and, you know, it's kind of interesting because we've had a couple of guests on the show where that are from all different types of backgrounds, some people that are self-taught and then some people that, you know, have gone the MFA route. And I was just kind of curious, like, did you, other than, you know, just writing a bunch of stories really fast, was there anything else that you did to try and teach yourself? Like, did you have any authors maybe that you looked up to and maybe not copied their style, but just kind of saw how they constructed, you know, their works? Um, I mean, not intentionally. I mean, I've done a ton of, like, I've always been a big reader. So I think that helped with some of the construction stuff. And I read quite a few books during that first year. And still now I pick at them too, but like books about writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did, I do find that helps. You'll pick up something from all of them. You can concentrate on different areas. But I never really tried to model my style after anyone. Um, I found having like beta readers and talking to other writers helpful though yeah yeah and i i guess it was kind of the way i worded it was kind of bad like maybe not modeled but like i know some people they'll be like you know i was really into this author you know and oh definitely no a lot of people definitely start writing like with a a very like that idea of a style they want to do and i don't think there's anything wrong with that because you're never going to be exactly the same as someone but uh, yeah. that just wasn't the way I did it. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think in a way it's kind of more exciting that way because that that's kind of the same way I did it. Like I've read a couple of different books, like uh, Benjamin Percy's Thrill Me, obviously Stephen King's on writing, but mm-hmm. and like it's good to take those tips, but in a way it's kind of more exciting, and you know maybe it works for some, maybe it doesn't, but. It's kind of exciting, I think, like you said, to kind of try and just, you know, do it and kind of feel it out for yourself. Yeah, I mean, like, I could definitely see places where I, where I was lacking, and then I would know what to concentrate on with the next couple stories. And then after that, I'd be like, okay, well, now I don't like what I'm doing with characters, so I'm going to have to figure that out. So I'll read a couple articles and write a few stories with that concentration. And you just keep kind of hammering away at it. Yeah, and... um 
One thing I was curious about too, and I ask this sometimes of our guests is, um, I'm not particularly sure, um, you know, where you live, but do you do a lot of stuff like with other writers? Like, is it a good community? Do you do like <laughs> live events or is it kind of like, you know, there's nothing really going on? No, I live in like a little small town in Canada, um, in Nova Scotia. And there's, there's a little bit of like, there's not nothing going on here. Like there's a bit of a nerd scene and there's, I have a couple writer friends, but there's not a big like horror scene here or especially the kind I write. So um, yeah. that's not a big part of it. No, I talk to more. So like I found more of a writing community online. I do have a friend or two in real life that are writers. So, but not as far, as far as a scene. No. Yeah. I always find it interesting. Cause like you said, um, cause that's kind of how Shane and myself are like, we've, met a ton of writers and you know even other horror bloggers and you know people like that through online like that's how Shane and myself met was you know just through online but I always think it's interesting to kind of see where you know writers like if they have that sort of community like outside of online and you know maybe how it impacts their work or not yeah no i definitely see other people online who are in like places where there's a lot of conventions and they're getting together with other writers and they're and like sometimes i'm jealous of it but then other times i remember how much of an introvert i am and the fact that <laughs> even if they were around i probably would never be around them <laughs> so yeah. it works better this way <laughs> at least yeah. um, i don't have to make excuses for myself <laughs> yeah i i can relate to that definitely like i think Shane doesn't really seem like it, but we're both kind of the same way, like real introverts, like even starting this podcast for the two of us, like we always wanted to do it, but we were both, you know, so introverted that we're like, mm -hmm. we would just talk about it and talk about it and plan it and plan it and never really put it into action. <laughs> like we had all these great ideas, but we're like, ah, should we do this? You know, are people going to even want to talk to us on here <laughs> so i can having ideas is always the best part though i love having ideas the rest of it's the hard part <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like trying to bring that out like we had yeah. we had tons of ideas and like really this podcast i've told this story a million times so i'll only give the brief rundown but um john fd taff is the reason that this podcast even exists because <laughs> he uh we did it for the fearing. I don't know if oh, you've cool. read any of those. Yes. Yeah, are those the ones with the covers that all um, make a cool Yeah. Book? That looks yeah. badass. Yeah. I haven't read those, but yeah, it looks badass. The covers are beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's a really good, uh, it's a really good story. And yeah, I didn't know that that was coming at first, but yeah, once you put, uh, when the last one came out, they did the big reveal where, you put them all side by side and it's kind of like this big mural. Yeah. I just saw it the other day and it made uh, an impression on me. I was like, Oh, that's super cool. I was, I was like, now I have to write something long. Cause that's so cool. <laughs> I never will though. <laughs> well, actually it, and like, I think, you know, not to kind of push that on you, but um, I think it would work because kind of like with uh, the writhing skies, how you did all the drawings um, originally when, Taff wrote that it was like this big massive novel and then you know over time 
he decided to kind of do serialized novellas. So they were kind of, you know, it's one big story, but each one is its own tiny little thing. Oh, I didn't know that. That sounds cool. I like that. I like that way of doing it. Like interconnected things. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, the talk about in dreams, we rot the first story that I read in there which is the first story in the collection is love is not a handful of seeds. And I thought that was a really cool story to start off with. You know, oh, it's, yeah, it's a pretty short one, but yeah, it's just one little page. Yeah. But I, I liked kind of how, like when, you know, she's out there looking for, you know, the missing guy and like when she finds him and she kind of, he starts to like break apart into nature I was just curious because, too, I noticed some of the themes throughout the collection or at least, you know, topics. It seems like there's a lot of nature and, you know, this story doesn't have it, but there's like a lot of nature things or like cats. And I was just kind of curious, like with this collection, did you consciously pick stories that had kind of like similar themes or was that just kind of of a coincidence? I think I must just write a lot of similar themes. Like I went through for this collection, like it's mostly previous published stuff, but it's definitely like the best stuff I've published in the last five years, like my favorite stories, but I'm not surprised that I would have some themes that pop up and I like how they fit together in the book. Yeah, I was always curious about that because I I just kind of picked it out. But um, I was like, I wonder if that was like intentional or, you know, if it just kind of was like a happy accident. But um, and two, just on an overall scale um, with like a collection, I'm always curious as to how writers approach those um, kind of like the cadence you know like how you start the collection and maybe how yeah. you follow it out and i was just curious you know i kind of wink it to like almost like you're making a mixtape or something and i was just yes. kind of curious you know how was the process for selecting the stories of in dreams we rot and like maybe the process between figuring out you know kind of how you were going to place them um, well, for figuring out what was in it was fairly easy because I just went through all my, like I knew right away what some of my standout stories were and then I just kind of narrowed it down further from there. But uh, I definitely did some, I thought of it like a mixtape almost when I was putting it together for sure. I wanted to make sure everything flowed well. Um, I put a tiny little microfiction at the beginning kind of as a mood setting thing and I finished it with a microfiction too. Um, and then the first story after the first, or I guess the second story is a cat story that connects with a later cat story at the end of the collection. So that was kind of the beginning and end I put a lot of thought into. And from otherwise, I just wanted to make sure it had a good flow, I guess. Yeah. And I, I think that flow comes through very well. And like one of the stories that both Shane and myself, and I've seen a lot of people talk about this one online, is tiny bones beneath yeah. their feet. And Everyone seems to really, I'm glad people, that one hits people so good. I do. I'm happy with that one, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a really, a really cool idea. 
Um, and you know, it kind of, and maybe, I don't know if I'm looking at it the right way, but like the thing that, you know, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read it maybe is like, kind of like the, the hole in the woods or, you know, that, I don't know if you would consider it a portal or not, but, um, I thought that was a really cool touch and kind of made it unique. And also like all of the cats, um, Mm -hmm. I was kind of curious if you, could like maybe tell us a little bit about the inspiration for that because I have some ideas maybe on like what I I think it means and you might you don't necessarily have to tell us exactly what it means but maybe what inspired you to write it um well I was originally actually I was going to work on a collection called the cat lives that kind of didn't go the way I wanted it to but there were those two stories um the tiny bones beneath their feet and the backwards path to limbus that were left from it and i was just trying to build up like a strange cat mythos that hinted at another world um i just i'm not sure exactly what else i would say about the inspiration for it like i just wanted to concentrate on creating a cat mythos almost like a lovecraftian only with cats kind of orchestrating things between the worlds yeah yeah and that that sounds kind of cool and that's kind of what i thought about it too and you know i've always been intrigued by that i've read a couple lovecraft stories not very many but like i've always been intrigued by cosmic horror yeah it, it seems like And I could be wrong because, you know, I read a lot, but I haven't read everything. But it seems like a lot of cosmic horror kind of draws from Lovecraft. So I always think it's cool when writers, you know, kind of take those cosmic horror themes, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, link to Lovecraft. Yeah, it was definitely in that same almost like dream space as Lovecraft is, but not directly those kind of cosmos. Um and I really like writing without saying too much. I almost just want to give a taste and let you kind of fill in the blanks yourself of some of the really weird bits. But then some of it is really explicit yeah. and described as well. But I don't, know, I don't like to beat the reader over the head with anything, I guess. Yeah, and that makes sense. And that's kind of what I what I took from the story. And those are the kind of stories that I'm drawn to is some that have a little bit more ambiguity to it because mm-hmm. I, I kind of came up with my own ideas and, you know, who knows if they're even right or not. Um, probably not because it kind of connects to like that other world thing, but I'll throw it out there and people can laugh at me later. But <laughs> I am at the very beginning of the story because he mentions one of the cats by name. And then he said that he, he knew somebody by that name. I almost thought that like all of these cats were at one time other people. Okay. That wasn't what I was going for with them, but I can see that (laughs) and it's interesting and I have no problem with it. (laughs) Yeah. But like then as I read it and then like up when I got to, you know, the the part in the woods then I was kind of like, eh, I don't think that's what it is. But that was my initial, my initial 
take I just, on it. I just like to set up like a few little questions so that readers think the story is going to go in one direction, but then it veers in a different direction. I find that really fun to do. In this story, I was kind of trying to make you feel like something bad was going to happen to the the woman that was trying to help him with the feral cats, but it ended up going a little different than I think people might have expected. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think you definitely built that up because the whole time, like as soon as that lady showed up, I was like, I'm like, oh yeah, this this is gonna go very very badly for her. Yeah, you think <laughs> that the cats are gonna get her, but things go differently, and I, I don't know. That was that was fun. I find that those kind of little tricks really fun. Yeah, I as a reader, that's the kind of stuff that I'm really drawn to too. Like especially as like as much as I read, like I always hate, and it it rarely ever happens actually, which I'm kind of surprised. But like every, I always hate like if I can kind of figure out where it's going. Mm-hmm. And I think I think too that's another cool thing about short fiction, and especially yours, because I feel like that kind of carries out through most of the stories. Is you never really know what's going to come next. Like you can't really figure it out. And I feel like that's tricky to do, you know, in a short format. Yeah. And I think a lot of times like you, there's a lot of tropes in horror fiction. And once you see them show up, you think, you know, what's going to happen with them, what direction it's going to go. So that's really easy to play with. I think like you can just show people a trope and they'll assume something, but you can have something else sneaky planned for them. Yeah, yeah, and um, it seems like I'm kind of going in order, but I picked a couple of stories um, that I personally really enjoyed, and one of them that I really liked was Something is Coming um, with Leah and the Voyeuristic website, and I thought that was very cool because it kind of ties into, like, you know, stuff that goes on today with, you know, how much how much people, I thought it was interesting because, you know, these people don't necessarily know that what they're doing is available for other people, but I just thought it was kind of interesting. And, you know, I don't have anything against social media. I'm on there all the time, Mm -hmm. but I thought it was kind of a nice contrast to, you know, like how we willingly put all this stuff out there. And then these people who don't know that their stuff is out there. And yeah, definitely. Kind of, Thanks. Yeah, and kind of like too, like over time, like how she was so involved with this, and then when the tables are kind of turned in an unexpected way, I thought it was cool, kind of seeing that play out. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Social media is. I know I've been trying to take a little step back from being on it so constantly, but it's so hard because I'm on it so constantly. Yeah. It's um. Yeah, it is. It is tricky. Something is coming, actually. Have you ever seen, um, it's a thing online, Have You Dreamed This Man? And it's yeah. like, a, yeah, I was thinking of that dude when I wrote it um, for the first face that she sees that's looking back at her. It was, uh, I was picturing that weird dream man. Yeah, which, you know, it's funny, and for anybody who hasn't seen that, definitely look it up, because it's it's pretty interesting. Like, I remember the first time I came across that. I can't say that I've ever dreamt that guy. Maybe I have. I don't know, but, like, the drawing of him. 
Sometimes yeah. I think of that drawing when I'm about to fall asleep and then I get really scared. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't want to dream them now. <laughs> and what's I, I've funny, never dreamed them, but I could like, and especially if I'm thinking about them before I go to bed. So it could be very spooky. Yeah. And what's funny is like, if you think about it on the surface on the drawing, he kind of just looks like a regular dude, but you start to like read some of those like I think like when they put that photo up there they kind of put like little facts under it or at least some versions of it have mm-hmm. like these little facts and like it, it does make it extremely creepy oh definitely the idea <laughs> there um like I find everything about like lucid dreaming and like dream shared dream consciousness like I don't know if I believe in that kind of stuff but it's really creepy like the idea that you could run into the same person in a dream that someone else could like that's creepy and weird subconscious minds are very weird yeah yeah i'm like i for a while i was into like i don't i still am but i don't search it out quite like i used to but growing up i was into all kinds of weird stuff like that like cryptozoology yeah me too that makes sense i bet a lot of us like horror punk kids definitely grew up with that kind (laughs) of weird shit background (laughs) Yeah, and you're always, like, looking up these, like, you know, weird little, whether it be, you know, cryptozoology or whatever is pretty well known, but especially now in the age of, you know, like, Reddit and all these other sites, if you go into some of those or, like, other websites that are based around, you know, strange phenomena or whatever, you can really fall down the rabbit hole of some creepy stuff. (laughs) and. That dream man and like how you were talking about lucid dreaming, it made me think of like, there's like an experiment where they say like, if you put like uh, these things over your eyes, like, I guess they're like half ping pong balls or whatever. And you put on like these soundproof headphones that like you can reach that lucid dreaming. And like, I've, ho- I've always been interested in it, but I'm too, I'm too much of a chicken to actually try yeah. it. <laughs> There's lots of different techniques for getting into lucid dreams. When I was a little kid, I used to lucid dream a lot, just naturally. Like I could control myself in dreams. But now that I'm older, I found it very hard. I was trying to get in, into it again a couple of years ago. Um, like there's different techniques, like. You can keep checking through the day, asking yourself if you're awake, and that helps you wake up in your dream or whatever. But I kept having, like, um, false awakenings all the time when I started doing it. So I'd keep thinking I was waking up and going into my day, and then I'd wake up again, and I'd be like, oh, my God, I have to go get a shower and get ready for my day. And then I'd wake up again, and it was very uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. Um, like Like, that stuff, I think I've had that happen, you know, maybe a couple handful of times. But, like, I know some people try and do it, and they try and, like, guide it a certain way. And I'm, I'm always terrified that, like, I'll run into some, like, really scary shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then, like, I'll be, like, trapped or something. Yeah, it could get weird. Um, it, it was uncomfortable when I was trying to get into it again, so I just stopped. But, uh, yeah, I guess Something is Coming was definitely inspired by some of those kind of weird rabbit holes you can find on the internet and running into something you don't want to. Yeah, that I love that one. And you know, there's a there's so many that, you know, I like like you said, all of these stories, like there's definitely themes, but like the thing that I think drew me the most to this collection was no one story other than the one that's kind of connected is kind of the same. Like there's such a wide variety of 
things that happen in these stories or, you know, cause certain events. Yeah, I want to, there's definitely like a wide, there's themes, but I don't think any of the stories are like repetitive or anything like that. Like they are different in like subgenre and in tone and in mood and hopefully they just get more and more horrifying and disgusting and, you know, constantly surprising <laughs> you in that way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny you mention that because, like, I kind of took my notes in order that the stories appeared. And, like, as I'm looking at, at my notes, it definitely seemed to go that way because there's one in particular. Shane and I both said that it kind of reminded us of a little bit of, like, maybe the Cenobites and, like, the whole Barker-esque type stuff, uh, These Beautiful Bones. Oh, cool, yeah. And, you know, that one, that one was pretty wild. Like That one I... definitely goes too far. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually, I was flipping through and just kind of refreshing my memory on some of them, and I was like, oh, yes, this one goes too far. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I loved it because I'm like, okay, you know, it kind of starts with, you know, she's talking about the crack in the basement, and there's, like, the graffiti and stuff. And then, like, it just keeps ramping up and ramping up. And you're like, okay, this is pretty much the pinnacle, probably, of where this story's going to go. And then it's going to kind of resolve. But then it just keeps going and going. (laughs) I love, like, yeah, I really like, like, extreme kind of stuff like that. And that was always the kind of movies and fiction I sought out. Like, no one ever went far. Sometimes you just want, I don't know, it's like peeling off a Band-Aid or something. Like, you just want it to go too far and delve into the worst that could be as far as like gore and sexual horrible things i don't know there's something like good about it yeah yeah that makes perfect sense because you know some people and you might not even know that you know you're kind of seeking that stuff out but i think like Cause I was kind of like that too, like the same way as you, like, I like that kind of stuff and sought that stuff out, but mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of people kind of work in the reverse. Like they might not necessarily be looking for that, but they'll be reading something or whatever. And it'll seem like it's setting up for, you know, like this huge horrifying event. And then they kind of like shy away from it. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, that that's a total letdown. Like, why the hell did I just. yeah you were just yeah like make it bad it's got to be bad like sometimes with horror it's just it's got to be really bad um but like i don't think of myself as only an extreme horror author or anything by any means because i write other stuff too but even the extreme stuff i like it to have a little bit of almost like a literary like it's got to mean something it's not just being I mean, it is disgusting because it's fun to be disgusting sometimes, but also there's something else going on. <laughs> yeah, and I th- I think that's partly why, because like I, I like extreme stuff, but yeah. it's not like my, it's usually not my main thing. But when I read this, like I told Shane as soon as I finished it, I was like, I really think she's one of my favorite short story writers. And there's a lot of extreme stuff. But sometimes there's almost like this beauty to it, if that makes sense. I think there can definitely be like a beauty to that grotesqueness. Like just taking that care to really explain it and delve in it and, I don't know, really get into it. Get your hands into the grossness of it. I don't know, there's something definitely beautiful about it, I think. 
Yeah, and I think like a cool story that kind of like reflects that to a degree is the botany of desire because it starts out with like all of these beautiful plants and you're like, oh, you know, this is kind of like, you know, a beautiful literary story. And then even that one takes a very dark turn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am what I am. <laughs> yeah, and I thought that was so cool. And um, the other one that comes to mind, and that kind of goes back to like our internet rabbit hole. And this one really spoke to me because of my interest in like cryptozoology. And I, did, I don't know if this is actually a thing. And you could tell me, but uh, in postpartum, like the crypto taxidermy, like I know there's the jackalope, but I didn't know if like there was really some kind of like underground movement where people actually did like what that main character did. Yeah, there is definitely. I mean, not to the extent that she did. I certainly yeah. hope not. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there is um, there is definitely uh, like a little like the jackalope and like people making weird things um even like back in like long ago earlier taxidermy days just like putting shit together and making it look like something else and <laughs> yeah i think now in like oddity stores and stuff i know um there's a big city that has near sort of like five hours from here that has an oddity store and they had a few like items like that like animals kind of patched together but a little more neatly than i think my main character did yeah yeah that one and you know i thought that was that was a pretty interesting story because, you know, she's dealing with some, some very, some very heavy things throughout the story. I don't want to spoil it for anyone and especially not the ending, but I thought that was like an interesting way to kind of look at, you know, how people would deal with those sort of situations. Yeah. I like, I mean, it's definitely like, that's a hard story and I think it's probably not for some people, but, um, I wrote that one for uh, a Frankenstein anthology by Word Horde, uh, Eternal Frankenstein. So it was inspired by um, Frankenstein, obviously, and like the creation and making something and being displeased with your creation. But she was more displeased with her original creation, her son. Uh, So just kind of mixing all those sort of things together. And um, I forget actually what point I was driving at there, but. <laughs> oh, no, it's okay. I kind of forget myself. Like, yeah, why? Okay. What I was even going for. Oh, I, it was uh, dealing, you know, like using that, like how she dealt with what she was going through, through, you know, building this thing. Yeah, but... That was one of a lot. Like, that was a longer story for me, too. I think that was around like 6,000 or 7,000 words. And it just really like delves into the feeling of depression, I think. Like, it's suffocating. And I don't know. I, I do think it hits a lot of emotions that people might feel. And then, of course, builds up to a horrifying, disgusting conclusion. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that one, I think that one was probably the one that got me the most. <laughs> I was kind of, you know, sometimes I think, I wonder if I should have put a little bit of trigger warning somewhere in this book. I did with Writhing Skies. I think maybe there's a couple in this book that are questionable, but. Um. Yeah, like, um, like that one, that, that story might be tricky for some people, but I think by and large, kind of like I said, like I, I read some extreme stuff, but usually not a lot, but um. 
like the way it was handled, like even stuff that was kind of like way out there, like the way it was handled, it didn't to me, you know, feel like, I don't know, like it didn't affect me in that way where I would think it was necessary, but yeah. Um, and then there is another cool one because also it seems like relationships, you know, kind of weave throughout this as well, like different portrayals of relationships and one that really stuck out to me, well, there is two actually, the Lonely Hearts Club mm. and um, the Narrow Escape. Cool. Those were actually two that I both wrote around the same time. Um, and yeah, they both deal with like relationships in two really different ways, I think. Yeah, yeah. Especially um, like this Narrow Escape, that one... I don't even want to say, like, tame, but, like, comparing the two, <laughs> yeah. that one was, like, a little bit more, I guess, straightforward. But I thought it was really interesting to, you know, looking at her perspective and, you know, as she's going through this, you know, how she, you could kind of view it one of two ways. Either she's getting bigger or the house is getting smaller. I took it one way. I'm curious to see how other people people took it but i thought that was like a really cool thing to like kind of reflect what she was going through because it seems like her husband was like a total asshole I almost, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like i'm in a wonderful stable relationship and i have been for a long time but everyone in my books is not <laughs> all yeah. people i write about are dating terrible terrible people <laughs> but um yeah, I think she, the one in this narrow escape, is one of my few protagonists who had a happy ending. <laughs> she ended up getting out for, for the better, so that was nice for her. Yeah, and that's what—that's the one thing that I liked about it. Like, you know, it showed her progression and like how she, you know, got out of that situation. But um, I like that one, and then um, the other one, the Lonely Hearts Club. I—I th- I don't know. It's hard for me to even really articulate why I liked it so much, but it was interesting because, you know, they always, when people talk about love or relationships, you know, they're always like, oh, you're giving a piece of yourself to somebody else. And this kind of takes that sentiment and, you know, very literally, (laughs) yeah, and takes it to the extreme. And I thought that was, I thought that was really interesting. And especially because at first, you know, I won't spoil it, but, you know, those two characters, I thought, you know, maybe that was only relegated to them, but, you know, maybe not so much as I read. Yeah, I guess there's a little bit of a strange world building to it, too, since, like, this is a thing that's possible. It was, it's a very, like, more style story than really concentrating on a lot of those kind of details, I guess. Like, I think it had a nice rhythm to it, and it was gruesome, and yeah, about, like, giving away yourself and giving too much or not enough or wanting it back, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was really cool, and, you know, some of the scenes, like you said, it's a very it's very gruesome, but I was like, you know, you never really knew where it was going, and I'm like, it starts off almost kind of like kind of like a regular romance story and then like out of nowhere you're just hit with you know (laughs) this is kind (laughs) of what they do with each other and I was like whoa 
and it just made me want to keep reading through this story. Cool. And, um, you know, I, I could be wrong, but personally, one thing I took through reading through these stories is some of them almost seem to start out with kind of like, like a quote unquote normal situation. And then they kind of morph into, you know, stuff that's maybe a bit more experimental, whether it be grotesque or just taking a very normal situation and kind of, I'm trying, I can't think of the word, but kind of make it more surreal, I guess. Yeah, that was just the word I was going to say. I do really like (laughs) taking like a, I've always been really interested in surrealism and like surrealist ways of writing and drawing and randomizing those things. And um, also the surrealism of dreams, which kind of leads to in dreams, we wrote the title. But um, I know a lot of times when I'm writing and when I'm getting into the spooky or the extreme whatever part I'm doing in it I really like to take influence from dreams and that kind of surreal way that dreams move and don't make a lot of sense but they feel like they make sense and I really try to like inject that into the the horror and the description a lot yeah and I I think that plays out through a lot of the uh stories because you know like some of the earlier ones that we've talked about like something is coming you know that seems like fairly normal on the surface and then it kind of takes a very surreal turn and you know I should have mentioned this earlier but I know you said it was inspired by that have you dreamed this man but for some reason even though it was mainly smiles and this was more about the eyes I kept thinking about that music video for Soundgarden's Black Hole Sun oh I love that video yeah (laughs) But you know, like, kind of like with I mean, eyes instead. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel what I feel that. Yeah, I think like almost every. I would say every story in this has something ripped directly out of one of my dreams, like some sort of bit of imagery, or some of them are based entirely around a chunk of dream. But they all have a little bit of something. And yeah. I, don't, I like that subconscious bit of myself put into each of the stories. I think it's cool. Yeah, and I think you know I. I envy you for that ability because like, I can't tell you how many times like I've had these crazy dreams and like, I don't even know how it's possible, but maybe like subconsciously, even in the dream, I'm thinking like, man, this would make for a really cool idea. But then like, (laughs) as soon as I wake up, it's gone. It's nowhere. I'm really lucky. I've always been able to remember my dreams really, really well. And they're always really vivid and strange. And there's like a lot of reoccurring themes and like places that aren't real places. Like I have this little bookstore that I always go to in dreams and this weird big library that aren't real places, but I've been there repeatedly. Like they're very detailed and they're a lot of fun. And I really like sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) I, I do too, but unfortunately, like, so most of the times I either don't dream or like I said, they're, they're not nearly that cool or like where yeah. I can, or my, like my, recurring. My, my poor boyfriend, I think he's had like maybe two dreams since I've met him. And um, I remember him being excited to tell me one day, he's like, oh, I had a dream and I remember it. I was at work counting stock. Like, <laughs> oh, <that's> tragic. <laughs> I'm like going on post-apocalyptic adventures and secret libraries. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, 
it's funny because I kind of, I can relate to that. Yeah. Like I'm kind of, I'm kind of somewhere maybe in the middle. Like sometimes I have these really cool dreams and it's like really surreal stuff or sometimes, and it maybe it's just because I'm a, I am so in the horror. Maybe I'm just a weirdo, but sometimes I'll have these terrifying dreams where I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And then other yeah. times I have <laughs> dreams like that where it's like, I'm at work, but it's like a slightly different version of work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those are the ones I always seem to remember. The cool ones are the ones that seem to kind of go away. I mostly get the cool ones, but every now and then, like I was saying before, I get like a, like a little run of those ones where I'm trying to, I think I'm awake and I'm not awake and then I'm getting ready for work and then I'm awake again. And those are very tiring. <laughs> yeah. You wake up frustrated. You're like, I got ready for today like six times already. <laughs> yeah, that would be, that would get annoying, I think, after a while. Yeah, I don't, I haven't had one in a while, so I hope I'm not jinxing myself. <laughs> yeah you're waking up all night tonight over and yeah. over yeah yeah tomorrow morning after this you'll have that <laughs> <laughs> have you ever read the sandman comics that happens to a guy in that as well too near the beginning of them i've always wanted to like i've always wanted to pick up the uh omnibus but like every time i go to look at it it's like a hundred dollars oh or god something. yeah <laughs> I'm like, i read oh. the <laughs> I, I bought all the graphic novels when I was early in my early 20s, and I lived with my mom and had a job, so I could spend all my money on just whatever garbage I wanted. <laughs> but um, alas, now I cannot afford that many graphic novels either. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a couple, but yeah, no, I haven't read that one. Um, but, you know, it's kind of interesting. Like, I, I kind of had the same thing. Like, I wish I kept some of my stuff like i'm of the age where when i was growing up like goosebumps were the huge thing mm -hmm. and i had like every original copy like for the entire run before oh, he uh... ended it and moved on and of course i got rid of them and now that i'm older no. yeah now that i'm older i'm like why i still have my first <laughs> i think i have like the first 40 maybe and i still have them we're pretty my like i live i have a family of pack rats um <laughs> so most of my cool childhood stuff is still around except for a few notable exceptions such as my massive collection of gem and the holograms dolls which i will forever tragically miss yeah i i wish i was like that and kept some of this stuff because like i'll think back and i'll be like man i wish i still had that for you know a variety of different reasons Mm -hmm. But the Goosebumps one is the one that haunts me the most because I was I... like a teenager and I was like, eh, I'm never going to read these again. <laughs> I'm just going to, you know, sell them. <laughs> I did that with a lot of things, too. I highly encourage you, man. You can I have a lot of collections of things like that that I'm trying to re gather from my youth and like i'm not at that hard but i just keep an eye out at thrift stores all the time and figure in the next 30 years i'll find all those old poly pockets yeah. and fear street books i'm missing <laughs> yeah it's kind but of yeah funny. you can definitely always find goosebumps in the thrift stores though if you wanted to restock oh yeah i'm, I'm gonna look into that but it's kind of funny because you mentioned poly pocket and i don't <laughs> know why i'm even bringing this up but for a while, because I was obsessed with, like, you know, the quote-unquote boy version of that, Mighty oh, Max. Yeah, Mighty Max. <laughs> yeah. We have, like, a, an embarrassing collection of those still, actually, here. I've been stocking my boyfriend up with those for the last... <laughs> oh, man, I had, I had them all. Like, the little, uh, 
the little ones that were kind of like the singular thing. Yeah, I had like why. the giant. Yeah, I had the giant like castle. We the, have that, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Dragon Island, I think it was called. Those were really cool. Mighty Ma- there was a show for that too. I don't think I ever watched that, but uh, I know there's a cartoon of them. It was pretty intense. I used to watch it, and then uh, they put out like a movie that ended the series, and it huh. was surprisingly, from what I remember, I could be wrong. This mm-hmm. is viewed through like child eyes, but it was surprisingly dark from what I remember. Excellent. I like that. <laughs> it seemed like it seemed like it would go a little dark. Tales from the Crypt was another good cartoon from around that time. Oh yeah, I loved that. I just uh, rewatched the first episode of that not that long ago. It held up pretty good. I'll have to track those down. Like, are they on YouTube or anything? Or... Yeah, I just watched on YouTube. Oh, well, I know where the rest of my weekend's going. <laughs> <laughs> I have been absolutely binging Boy Meets World for the last couple weeks. <laughs> That's basically all I can oh, Man. Just, I could talk about that literally for hours. That was... <laughs> it's not very horror related, I guess. Yeah. Man, is it good? <laughs> yeah, sorry, everybody, <laughs> but television. <laughs> but yeah, it's on Disney Plus, and uh, I, I gotta watch it. Oh yeah, I, I think I've seen that series from start to finish, maybe four or five times. Oh, nice. See, I only watched <laughs> it like the like I watched it when I was a kid or whatever, and probably saw the reruns a few times. But this is definitely the first time in. I don't know, well over a decade I've watched it, so it's pretty fun. Yeah, it it definitely holds up, and to be fair for anyone listening, it is kind of horror-related, because they did like a, they almost did like a Scream spoof on one of the later episodes. Yeah, there was um like a Halloween episode I watched where Corey thought he was turning into a werewolf, but he was just going through puberty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that one. It was really good. Uh, <laughs> I'm at this point now where uh, Sean is moving in with his teacher or whatever. Oh, yeah, Mr. Turner. See, yeah. that's how many times I've seen this show. <laughs> but, yeah, for my money, uh, that that was a Halloween one. And then, yeah, there was one that was like kind of like a Scream type thing and like a Jennifer Love Hewitt lookalike in it. But for my money, the I don't know if you've seen these ones or if you've seen them recently but the college years were my favorite of boy meets world yeah i don't remember them at all like i think all my memories are from the early seasons but i'm gonna watch it i'm gonna watch it right through to girl meets world i've got nothing better to do this winter (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna write or whatever but (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, i love that show but yeah when you get to the college years like some people didn't like it but for my money, there's some of the funniest jokes. Like, I won't spoil anything about it for you, but there, there's like a, a funny riff that forms between Eric and Topanga. And the one oh, episode when they go at each other is probably <laughs> the funniest episode of the whole show. Oh, great, I'll look forward to it. I'll let you know when I get there. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully people stick with us through talking about Boy Meets World. I mean, I really <laughs> honestly believe that everyone loves Boy Meets World, and if they don't, they have very cold, sad hearts. <laughs> oh yeah, I I love that show, and like you said, I think everyone everyone likes it. Like I even wa- I watched it through Girl Meets World. I didn't like it as much. No, but, uh, I probably not. I I mainly just watched it to kind of see what happened to the original characters. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely interested to check it out. But, uh, you know, if I don't like it, I just won't watch it anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Easy enough. <laughs> but yeah, that that was a good time. Like you said, they had Tales from the Crypt, all kinds of cool stuff on there. And uh, I actually, I have a sh- couple questions from Shane. Well, mainly just one. Cool. But he wanted to ask, how many cats do you have and what are their names? Because he said he vaguely remembers that they have interesting names. Yeah, I used to have more cats. We lost two over the last year or so. But we I'm had, sorry. I had, uh, thank you. But um, we, I had an excellent cat named Stevie King, which is probably the coolest cat name ever. And um, But right now I have two and they are Ripley, named after Ellen Ripley from Alien, and Ozma, named after Ozma of Oz. Oh, cool. Yeah, they're pretty cool little cats. We're hoping to get another one after Christmas sometime, I think. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I I had I like I don't consider myself like a cat person, but I had a cat growing up that I loved and I'm I can't believe I'm gonna admit this on air, but I think that's kind of what makes this thing cool. I I named her Sparkles. (laughs) 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 I don't know why. Uh, I got her when I was in second grade, but yeah, I had this cat Sparkles and (laughs) she was the greatest cat. I'm definitely like a cat person. Like I've had up to five at a time. And right now with two, like this is the least cats I've had in, I don't know, like 15 years. So we got to stock up. I got to get more cats. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny because like it's not that I'm not a cat person. Like I, I, I had bad, bad allergies as a kid, oh. and I was I was allergic to cats and dogs, but more so cats. But that's kind of what's messed up is that I had these severe allergies, and I still got this cat sparkles, <laughs> and like I was so sickly with allergies, like I had to get oh. allergy shots, but. Like, and like, sometimes like I'd pet her and I'd get hives, but I wow. didn't care. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I was allergic to cats when I was a little, little kid. And my mom made me get rid of the cat we had at the time. I was like five, I guess. And then when I was around eight, I think just like through sheer willpower, I got over the allergies and I talked a cat into following me home and I've had cats ever since. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Like I, I only ever had the one cat and then my wife when I met her in college, she had this awesome cat. Um, he was blind. I, he was older. I don't know how he became blind, but he was blind and his name was Spunky. I don't know if they (laughs) named him after the dog on Rocco's modern life, but I've never seen that show. Oh, that's a great, that's a great one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's an animated show. Um, I think, oh, yeah. they ha- I think they have a movie on Netflix. Like, they brought it back. It was a 90s cartoon. Yeah, I, I remember it. it, but I never, like, got into it. There's a couple, like, I'm, I really like cartoons a lot. And I, but, uh, I don't know, some of them just don't. Like, Ren and Stimpy from that kind of same era, I think. they Ren and Stimpy grosses me out. I don't know what it is. The animation is <laughs> just too much for me. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I had a phase where I really enjoyed that. And I... I don't know how they ever aired that on Nickelodeon because it was a kid's show. I was thinking it was an MTV cartoon, but it wasn't, was it? I, I you know, I'm not entirely sure. I vaguely remember it being on Nickelodeon only yeah, because I, think you're right. I had a 
growing up, I had a cassette and it was like the Nickelodeon orange of like all the original songs. And one of the songs is literally called whizzing on the electric fence. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I watch Ren and Stimpy, it was the the one where, which one is the cat thing? Is it Ren or Stimpy? Uh, Stimpy. Ren was like the chihuahua. Yeah. Stimpy like had a fart and then his fart ran away and he was sad. And it seemed like every time I put the show on, it was that one and I hated it. (laughs) I can't blame you. There's definitely like a lot of fart jokes or booger jokes or like I said, that one song with the electric fence. I (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely an odd one. That's for sure. But yeah, it's funny. Because I like so many cartoons, and it just feels like one I should like because it's weird, but I don't, and I'm bitter. I yeah, I I used to like it, but I don't like you said. It's almost like too weird. (laughs) 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 But uh, just out of curiosity, because and like some of the drawings that I've seen, like on your site and stuff, they definitely have kind of like a cartoon vibe. Like, what kind of cartoons do you like, whether it be TV shows or books or? Oh, I've been big on, like, a really, like, old cartoons kind of kick for the last while. Like, I like, like, the 20s cartoons, um, black and white Max Fleischer stuff, like Betty Boop, or even, like, the old Mickey Mouse by Disney. Um, I really like, like, old, weird cartoons. And I like a lot of, like, 90s stuff, too. Um, the MTV cartoons, like, the Max and the Head were my favorite. And as far as books, um, I like Edward Gorey. I like his style a lot and Charles Adams. And I have a shit ton of uh, just old comic, like comic book collections of uh, like Garfield or For Better and For Just all the newspaper strips I like. Uh, Modern Nancy is really good too. Modern Nancy cartoons. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Like I, I remember... I was always in the cartoons, especially like newspaper cartoons. Yeah, like Calvin and Hobbes and stuff. You're, you're probably from that same era too. Yeah, I like those. Um, I don't know why. Like, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, especially because, and I won't, you know, get too involved in it, but I think the creator, I don't think I necessarily see eye to eye with him on his views. But when I was younger, before I even would would have even been aware of that stuff for some reason i was obsessed with dilbert oh yeah <laughs> like, that's cool <laughs> like, I, I don't know why like some eight-year-old kid and i'm like <laughs> reading these comics about office politics just identifying with that hard <laughs> yeah. part like, oh man <laughs> yeah like, like my worst thing was you know like trying to figure out what they were serving at lunch for like at school and i'm reading these things with like these corporate jokes that <laughs> Like, and I'm just like, man, I love this. <laughs> like, yeah, um, like, I like, like, Fireside, of course, too. And, uh, I don't know, just a lot of old newspaper strips are really cool. Like, Wizard of Id and BC. Yeah, are you familiar with those? Yeah, yep. Yeah. yeah, that's the cool thing, is that they keep those still in uh, syndication. So, like, are they still going? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'll be honest, and I, I should I should be ashamed of myself for admitting this because I was a journalism major, but I don't really get the paper anymore. 
Like I just <laughs> I, I read everything. I read you know like stuff online and stuff. Oh, God, but uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that they're still going. I'm not necessarily. I don't know if they're new or not, but I know that they have them still going in syndication. Yeah, a lot, the, a lot of the old strips are still going. Like Nancy's been going for like since the 30s, which is ridiculous. They got a new uh, a woman writer on it, uh, Olivia James, and she is doing like the coolest like. I know her take on Nancy is really weird and different and funny and good. And I recommend it. Everyone should read Nancy comics. Yeah, I'll definitely check those out. Cause if I, if I remember correctly, I think there's like some website where you can kind of see like, and it's like a legit one, not like a piracy. Yeah. I think it's go comics maybe, or there's a couple like, like official comics websites you're allowed to read them on. Definitely. Yeah, where it kind of shows you, like, what ran in the papers that week. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm I'm actually excited, too, that you kind of have an art background, because I've been wanting to, like, tell people about this for a while. Uh, Shane and I did, like, a, a Sunday Slices column for a while, which we need to revive. We were terrible about getting away from that, but it was, like, recommendation stuff. Are you familiar with the artist John Ken Mortensen? Yeah. He does those uh, post-it note monsters. Yeah. I love those. Yeah. Um, I remember when he first started going around the internet, and I was just, like, mad because they were so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's exactly what I would like to be drawing. How dare you? <laughs> but, yeah, he's super – I love his stuff. The monsters are great, and, like, the little – it's very, like, almost Edward Gorey-inspired, some of the way he yeah. draws the characters. But then he goes way over the top with the monsters as opposed to, like, Edward Gorey's kind of a little more sedate but weird. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Like, I, I remember seeing, like, one or two of them, and I it might have been, I forget who I first saw it from. It was either, like, John Foster or maybe Todd Kiesling or maybe none of them. I can't remember, but I know it was definitely, like, within, like, the kind of horror community that I first saw it. But, like, I, I found a copy, like, I guess he did, like, a book of all his drawings that I found at a bookstore and oh, yeah, nice. I would love to be able to own like an original of some of those. I think he does sell his originals, doesn't he? Yeah. I think they're way but they're out probably, of my, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're way <laughs> out of my price range. I be spending money on either. I'm lucky I can afford new books sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I thought about it. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah. I'm like, like obviously I figured they'd be kind of pricey, but then I'm like, oh that that's a little too much for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel yeah. I, I was like, say they're not worth it, but just to say Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> like if I had the money, then yeah, I would probably buy every piece that he had available on there. Yeah, and like if he got that money, like he's a great artist and people are paying it, awesome, good for him. But just I I'm just not paying it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someday, but, maybe. Yeah, but I'll just be content kind of with, like, the uh, reproductions, I guess. Perfect, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I won't keep you too much longer, but I was just curious, you know, is there anything that you're uh, working on currently that you'd want to share with our listeners? Um, I'm just kind of picking at something right now. I've been uh, – I did quite a few short stories this year. It was most of what I was working on, nothing longer form. And I have a couple things coming out in anthologies, but I can't announce them yet. But they're going to be cool, I promise. 
Um, and right now I just started working on uh, what's going to be a novella, and it's another alien book, like kind of like some nihilistic things going on, and uh, also there's going to be cats in it, of course. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it's not like an extreme one. It's just going to be weird and spooky and good. Yeah, that's awesome. Like, I I still, I'm definitely going to check out The Riding Skies because I've heard a ton of great things about that one. And I believe that one's kind of tied to, like, maybe aliens, right? Yeah, that one's got aliens. That's like a, an extreme cosmic sex horror. Uh, one of my readers coined that term for it, which I love. Um, yeah. It's aliens and cosmic horror, and it's very, very gross. And it has illustrations. Yeah, so yeah, I'll definitely be checking that out. But uh, yeah, that that sounds cool. And, you know, I had a really great time talking with you. Anytime you want to come back, maybe we'll have you on again when uh, Shane's able to make it with us. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm sorry that he couldn't tonight. But yeah, next time, once I get this little book finished, maybe we'll talk again. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you again, Betty, and I hope you have a great night. Thanks, Rich. You too. All right. Bye. Bye.